Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past to the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Haunting History Podcast. I'm Kat, your host, and we are at episode 11, The Winchester Mansion. And joining me this week is, ta-da, Tress. Hi, glad to be back. They've been gone forever. No, little vacation from <laughs> podcasting. From sitting in my little tiny corner studio in my house. Yeah. Did you miss it? I did, actually. But you listen every single week. Of course. This week we're going to do the Winchester Mansion, and I kind of thought doing this episode, I feel like it's been done over and over again. If you go to listen notes and type in Winchester Mansion, any podcast that has anything to do with paranormal has done the Winchester house, and I, I, I didn't want to do it, but in reality, I love the house, and I'm fascinated by the stories and the legends. And the fact that we are California and we are a history podcast with paranormal thrown in, it really didn't make sense that we didn't do it. Have you been to the Winchester Mansion? Yeah, we did a mini honeymoon right after we got married where we drove, we flew to Oregon and drove down the coast. And that was one of our stops. And you were disappointed in it. I was actually. But not in the house. A little bit. Yes and no. I was tired. I was hot. Um, well, that has nothing to do with the house. Was- but, no, the house wasn't exactly what I pictured in my head. Really? Um, I knew it was pieced together, but I thought it was still going to be this big house. And then inside of it, the, like, labyrinth. It a- is. That's what it is. But it's, like, pieces. The buildings are pieced together. Like, I thought it was, I don't know. It was different. So, had you read about it? Before yeah, I had there. read about it. I think I had watched a couple history shows on it, on Sarah and the family history. I love the house. I think the house is amazing. I didn't love my tour guide when I was there. And the tour guide. Yeah, the tour was just... Super monotone. Yeah, it was a probably a 16-year-old kid leading the tour, tried to make horrible jokes. I don't remember any jokes. I just remember her being really monotone, like... No, ours tried to make jokes on your right on is the parlor that Sarah sat in. If you stare long enough, you may see the shadow of Sarah. Like, it was ridiculous. My friend was like, how much did we just pay for this? <laughs> yeah. Like, it was really disappointing. But the house, I thought, was so beautiful. And to know that she was the sole architect on it, I think maybe that I went in with a different viewpoint than you did. Because you were expecting, you were expecting something different. I wasn't expecting it to be such a guided, like tour. Oh, did you think you just like walk in and walk around? Yeah, and I didn't. Oh, you I, were completely behind ropes and chains, and yeah, like the, I remember the way they block you through a room was like wood. They yeah. made like barriers and yeah, it's very not like you're not really walking through someone's house. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like we walked through someone's house. Someone's house. I knew it was going to be a tour guide, but I didn't think it was going to be like we were in a museum. Museum. Are you? Was your husband disappointed? Or do you think it was cool? I think he was disappointed as well. Really? I went with. It um, was also a very hot day. Going through that house, no, no air AC, yeah. 
crowded. And I just wasn't into it at that point. So it was just a bad day in general. Yeah, I think I need to go back. You do. Fall I mean, and you have or to. Spring. Yeah, and you have you seen the movie? No, I have not. the The movie's really good, but I don't want to confuse anyone. It really has nothing to do with the actual history of the house. I mean, other than they show the house. I mean, I feel like it was more about her doctor, the storyline that they started with her doctor, than about Sarah Winchester. I mean, they touch on all the things like the thirteen and. All that, her being the architect and all this stuff, but um, the, they portrayed the 1906 earthquake as more of a paranormal experience than an earthquake. Oh. So, I mean, it's good. I would watch it. I enjoyed the movie. I was really you happy bringing that up I saw 13 it. reminds me. That was another thing I was so annoyed with was the steps. Why? So, there were so... I don't know why 13 steps, because I think there were some that it was 13 steps. But I think most of them were 13. There was a lot of weird... Just the, because the steps weren't the same length, or height, they were not the same length. Sometimes you were taking big strides, you were just going up. So just aesthetically it it bothered you. It did, yeah. I was not happy there. And that wasn't, you weren't prepared for that. That's the point of the mystery mansion, is that? Yeah, it was just weird. I, I don't know, I liked it, I looked at it differently, though. I thought the grounds were beautiful. I thought the house was beautiful. And I didn't get to see the grounds. You didn't see the gardens and things. No, we did not get to see the gardens. I guess that was another tour, and I didn't do that one. I thought that was beautiful. And then I thought, I think the whole time, because I had read about Sarah Winchester before I went, and I kind of was just mesmerized by the fact that she did that all by herself. Mm -hmm. Because she had to be brilliant. I mean, they say that she was, which is what I'm going to talk about now. Sarah Lockwood... Which, that was her middle name, not her maiden name. You uh, Lockwood? That. Her middle name was Lockwood. Hmm. Sarah Lockwood Party was born about 1840. No records of her birth exist, so it's been estimated that she was born between 1835 and 1845. So, to be safe, most writings claim that she was um, born in 1840. But, you know me, Ancestry.com, I found a census from 1880 and she was listed as 38 years old in the census. And the census isn't always the most accurate birth date because mm-hmm. whoever answered the door answered the census taker. So they could have been like, oh, she's 38. They didn't necessarily have to speak to her. So I'm going to stick with the 38. Every single website you go to, every book you read is going to give you a different date. It makes sense that she was born in, in 1830, sorry, 1842. She was born the fifth of seven children to Leonard Pardee and Sarah Burns. At the time of Sarah's birth, the parties were respectable, upper-middle-class New Haven family. Her father, Leonard, was a joiner by trade. Do you know what a joiner is? I think it has something to do with carpentry. It does. A joiner is an artesian. Yeah, they're more specialized. They're an artesian who builds things by joining pieces of wood, particularly lighter and more ornamental work than what is done by a carpenter. So they do, like, furniture, and they do um, fittings for a house or ship or... In his case, it was carriages. Okay. So he kind of, um, he was shrewd. He built his business up. He moved up the ladder of polite society and became a successful carriage manufacturer. And then during the Civil War, he made a fortune supplying ambulances to the Union Army. Sarah was smart and she was considered beautiful. I know that there's two photos I always see of Sarah Winchester one of them is hanging in the Winchester mansion and it says the only known photo of Sarah Winchester, but there's one that has, I really think that it's probably her. I mean, it looks like her. She, it probably didn't surface until 
ancestry and things like that got bigger when people started putting things online and the mm-hmm. web, the internet and stuff got, the internet and stuff got bigger. So pictures of her that family members had, because there's one of her younger and she was very pretty. But the interesting thing is that by the age of 12, she was fluent in four different languages. She could speak French, Spanish, Latin, and Italian. She was also a musician. She was schooled in the classics. She particularly loved Shakespeare. She was raised in a household that not only valued education, which, you know, was rare for the Victorian age. Um, She was accepted into the Young Ladies Collegiate Institute, which is the female counterpart of Yale University. So she was a smarty pants. Her dad believed that his daughter should be just as educated as his sons were. So he took pride in that, and she took pride in that. And she was clearly, I mean, by looking at the house, she was the only architect on that decided anything about that house. So clearly she was a smart lady. Yeah. She um, was considered the belle of New Haven because of all those things. She was pretty. She was tiny, though. I want to say she was only 4'10". Teeny tiny. Really little. Yeah. Um, she, how did she get up some of those steps then? That's why you were just saying about the steps, how they were so... But some of them were big, I feel like. No, they were wide, but none of them were high. Oh. Her steps were... It almost feels like when... You know, like when you climb a, a staircase, you're kind of winded, like, oh my gosh, I just got to mm-hmm. work out. It, you could climb a million stairs in her house and never even feel it. Because I they were it. so... They were so low. <laughs> it was like you didn't even pick up your feet to go up the stairs. I, I, I feel like anyways. But um, she married William, another great middle name. His middle name was Wirt. Wart? No, Wirt. Wirt. W-I-R-T. Wirt. Okay. <laughs> um, William Wirt Winchester. It was common in, during that time to name your children under influential people. So he, he was named after the longest-serving attorney general in the United States. Yes. And, and it was, I mean, even in my own ancestry, my three-times great-grandmother's name was Elizabeth Anderson Clopton. So her middle name was Anderson. Her brother's name was Reuben Jefferson. Like, they were all named My after. daughter has a middle name like that, too. Which Parker. One? Well, that, yeah, she took it. After her great-grandparents. I, I don't think people do that enough anymore. I think it's so important. And when you do ancestry, you notice back. Well, my husband's family. Sorry, honey. Your family. His family comes from um, the New England coast. And then they were part of the Mormon movement. And he has family members um, name. Like some of the ladies' names are patients. Um, One's name was Love. (laughs) Like they had the weirdest names i kind of love the names of my family one of my um grandmothers was eveline oh i'm gonna forget now alphonsine eveline which i thought was really alphonsine alphonsine eveline which i think was really pretty and then elizabeth anderson i just think those are i think they're pretty i don't know they're different i wish i would have named my daughter with the middle name anderson is so much better than the middle name Anne. yeah anderson's kind of cool um but back to William Wirt. She married William Wirt on September 30th, 1862. And the families knew each other. The parties in the Winchester were both upstanding families in polite society in New Haven, Connecticut. So they would have had contact with each other, which is probably how they met. Um, they would have met either just being part of polite society. She went to school with his sister. And they both belonged to... Uh, 
the First Baptist Church. So they that's probably how they met was through church and through family functions. Her father-in-law, Oliver, which everybody knows who the Winchester family is, her father-in-law, Oliver, was co-owner of the Winchester Davies Shirt Manufactory, Manufactory, and William was being groomed to take over that company. However, Oliver had developed an interest in firearms, and he took control of the Volcanic Arms Company and established the Winchester Repeating Arms Company in 1866. William soon sold his interest in the shirt company and became secretary of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. Interesting. The family business became immensely successful, as everyone knows. The Winchester Model 1873 rifle was known as the gun that won the West. The company sold more than 700,000 rifles from the year that year through 1916. Wild West luminaries Buffalo Bill Cody and Annie Oakley celebrated their proudness with the Winchesters, as did President Theodore Roosevelt. William and Sarah's only child, Annie, was born June 15, 1866. She was born with a disease. They call it, they refer to it now as Maramus, which the definition of it now is probably not the definition of it back then, but it was a severe form of malnutrition due to the body's inability to metabolize proteins. Annie died a little over a month later on July 24, 1866. And I looked it up, and like I said, I don't think it's the same I think now they would have called it failure to thrive, but she could have had the disease. So the thing with Maramus is typically it's the mother's pregnancy where she would be lacking nutrition, Mm -hmm. which would affect her child. Sarah would not have had poor nutrition or been starved or, I mean, she was from a wealthy family. So I, I think that the baby probably died of a, I mean, maybe it is Maramus. Maybe that's what they call it now. Anything I can find on it talks about children from third world countries and things like that. Yeah. And probably it was just she was not getting enough nutrients yeah. from well, the mom. Yeah. And they probably they didn't have formula yet. No, 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 no. No, she would have had a few. And she wasn't able to, I mean, I guess fundamentally it says that you weren't able to metabolize proteins. So it is a disease. That Maramus is a disease. I don't know that that's a common thing now is what I'm saying. I don't know. How would they have known that was the issue back then? So she it probably was, was. failure to thrive. Th- she, failure yeah, to she thrive. didn't. Oh, I looked up her grave on Find a Grave. Anne or? Well, Sarah. the whole family's there, okay. but Annie in particular, because I just wanted to see what they did. They were a wealthy family and, and, you know, me obsessed with the whole cemetery thing all the time. I looked it up, and it, it's a beautiful cross. I mean, it's gorgeous, carved out of stone. And then she's buried next to her mom and dad. And then behind them is another huge monument of stone with a big cross and vines and everything. It's beautiful. It's in it's in Connecticut. It's all really, really extravagant. And I'll put it on our website in case anybody wants to take a look at it. It's beautiful. But she was less, less than six weeks old, I think, when she died. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, sad. I don't doubt. They make... A big deal about it, the Winchester Mansion, that Sarah was devastated by the loss of her daughter and the loss of her husband. But in reality, her daughter died in 1866. Her husband didn't die until 1881, so 15 years later. Did she start the building after uh, the father or the dad? Oh, yeah. Husband the, died? They were still in Connecticut. Her husband died oh. in Connecticut. In fact, in the 1880 census, the 1880 census, which is the year before William passed away, they were living in the same house as um, Oliver. They were living with the Winchester family. 
Okay. They didn't. They weren't in their own home. They were living with. So she moves. I mean, you're probably going to get to this. Yeah. She. What she did. It says after in 1881, she suffered the loss of her husband, who died of tuberculosis at the age of 44. Apparently, he was sick for a really long time. I can't find a lot of records of it. I'm assuming they lived with his family because he was very sick for a long time. After he died, she went. And there's a newspaper article from New Haven, Connecticut, that says that Sarah removed herself to Europe. So some people say she took a three-year world tour and just went all over mm-hmm. Europe and then came back and moved to California. And this is the weird thing. They say that she moved to California to be closer to her party family, her maiden name. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if that's true because they said that one website I thought was really interesting um, said that she took up residence in the San Francisco Bay Area eventually moving to what is now known as San Jose. She purchased an eight-acre eight farmhouse on 161 acres from Dr. Robert Caldwell. Her apparent motive for the move was to be close to others in the party family. This I question, because she doesn't seem to have a lot of connection with family, for one thing. I'm curious why, if he had tuberculosis, why they stayed in, New, in Connecticut. Why would they go anywhere else? California, the weather would have been better, just like oh. they always sent people to um, a better climate who had tuberculosis. I didn't know that. It was healthier for them. It was easier to breathe and things like that. And one thing I read said that she moved particularly because of a man named Enoch. God, I love these names. Enoch Party. And um, this whole website goes on and on about how she moved. He was part of her family and she moved here and lived in San Francisco. And, and maybe he is related to her. I can't find the family tree where he is. But again, it's not. A lot of the trees aren't public. So, I mean, I just didn't think it was really pertinent to the story. So I didn't really look that much. But... This one website goes on and on about this Enoch party being a famous occultist. O-C-U-L-T-I-S-T. So I was like, wow, okay, there's her connection to, like, the superstition and the paranormal and the spirits and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. And then I looked up with an, you know what an occultist is? What is it? Ophthalmologist. Like an eye doctor? An eye doctor. Back in the 18... 90s, 1885. <laughs> yeah, because I was super excited because I was like, oh, there's a connection, you know? That's, and I get it. That's why she was well, so weird. Well, and, yeah, I was like, that makes sense. And then I got super, ex- like, ridiculously excited because I looked up him and I found a census that he was listed on and his profession. And the cool thing about ancestry is that sometimes you can't read the ha- the handwriting. It's very difficult to read some of it. But on certain things, if you highlight it, it'll tell you what it says. And, like, really big. I was, like, you know, I was doing this really late. It was, like, 10 o'clock at night. And it, like, lit up a cultist. And I was, like, oh, my God. Like, like bells went off. And I was, like, super excited. And then I was, like, wait, maybe I should find out what an occultist is. Because that seems really weird to list it as a professor. Well, no. <laughs> feels stupid. Because he's is an eye doctor. He was just a freaking famous eye doctor. Yeah. Annoyingly. So, but how do you be a famous eye doctor? I maybe I guess maybe he did some really great surgery. Maybe he figured something out. I don't really. By the time, by then, they saw he was an eye he doctor. He was just nice. Just like, so he didn't whatever. blind people when he checked their eyes. Yeah. And it was, it's sucky because this whole website was going, went on and on about how he, like, maybe that was like her connection to the occult or whatever. And I was like, no, it's her connection. Maybe she got a discount on glasses. I don't know. <laughs> But it reminded me when I did it, and and um, I'm gonna come to it, it. Like, and it probably is part of my obsession with ancestry and 
find a grave and things like that is that you can almost always find a connection to yourself, to your family before you. And I know that sounds really kind of weird, but, and this is maybe why I part, I'm kind of was always sort of into the whole Winchester thing is because a lot of people claim that Sarah was a spiritualist. And you know what a spiritualist... Oh, you didn't. You said you didn't know what a spiritualist was. I did not know what that is. Um, I had an idea, but... Forgive me for using the Wikipedia explanation for it, but it's really the easiest thing I've ever read that to convey what a spiritualist was. Spiritualism was a religious movement based on the belief that the spirits of the dead exist and have both the ability and the inclination to communicate with the living. The afterlife or the spirit world is seen by spiritualists not as a static place, but as one in which spirits continue to evolve. These two beliefs that contact with spirits is possible and that spirits are more advanced than humans led spiritualists to a third belief that spirits are capable of providing useful knowledge about moral and ethical issues as well as about the nature of God. Some spiritualists will speak of a concept that they refer to as spirit guides. Specific spirits often contacted who are relied upon for spiritual guidance and spiritualism, a branch of or spiritism. Spiritism, a branch of spiritualism developed by Alan Kardec and today practiced mostly in continental Europe and Latin America. So again, that was the Wikipedia, but I mean, I know we were joking about it earlier before we started recording that they're just parent, they're ghost investigators, but they I believe mean, that they're, they're more intelligent than what a normal... Right, they believe... They're feeding you information. They're leading They're helping way. you to live a better life. Yeah. They, they have a better worldview than you do because they've lived life, they've died, and now they can come and back and give you wisdom. And now they see everything, yeah. Right. They know all. That's what spiritual, spiritualism was. And this is what I started a few minutes ago, and this is why... I, I mean, we all know that I have a fascination with, like, history and dead people, and I always joke that I was born in the wrong decade like by hundreds of years and and my family's always joked about that that I had an old soul and and my I'm not fascinated by death exactly because I'm actually terrified of death and probably unnaturally afraid of it but I've always had a fascination with dead people I guess I don't I don't know how else to learning explain about that. people you have a fascination about learning about people well no because I was gonna say when I went on my road trip to uh to the Winchester mansion. Mm-hmm. It, I happened to go with a group of other people. And every time we would pass the cemetery, one of the guys would yell out, look, cat, dead people and shit. <laughs> so like, I clearly been like that my whole life. It's mm-hmm. just something about me. I don't know. I'm sure there's other people that are like that. Hopefully you're out there listening <laughs> and I'm not alone. But one night I was doing my family tree. And I, when I first joined Anne's history, and this was years and years and years ago, I was obsessed with it. I would do it at three o'clock in the morning. I couldn't go to sleep. I would stay up all night and do my family tree. And one night I had found a lead to, um, it was on my, my maternal grandfather's side. And I had found a lead to one of the names and I had looked through old documents that I had and the name matched. I was like, that's, that's my like four times great grandmother. And so I got super excited and I started following her and I found a census and it was her and it was like, like it was my family. I found mm-hmm. all the names and it on that census in particular listed a, that they were French, which is one, my other obsession. I learned, I took classes in French. Like I should be completely fluent in French by now. I'm really not, but I was always obsessed with the French language and they were French. 
And the biggest thing is that it listed their religion and they were spiritualist. Oh, and I like bells went off. I was just like three o'clock in the morning. I'm like waking up my husband. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. And he's like, well, that makes sense. You're like, you're a ghost shit. Like, you're. I I believe that though. I believe that. Like they show those commercials on Ancestry all the time. Mm-hmm. And really, Ancestry should just pay me to sponsor them. Mm-hmm. Like I really do have space for you, Ancestry.com. Um, the commercials where they show like the photographer, and then she finds out like her great granddaddy was like someone who develop cameras or whatever. Yeah. I do believe you are where you came from. And I think that that moment was such an awakening for me that, that explained like, why am I, even when I was like 13, why, why am I so interested in like the past and dead people and stuff and mm-hmm. fascinated by anything I could read about Hans Holzer and things like that and dead people. And, um, I realized like right at that moment that it's, it's not me. It's, it came it's- from before. The, yeah. Your spirit guide's leading you. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's it. But I really think that more people should probably find their, do their family tree. I don't think you know who you are until you know where you came from. And I think a lot of times it explains a lot of things that you didn't realize why you loved it or why you were fascinated by it or why you had this particular interest. It's yeah. somewhere in your lineage. It's, it's there somewhere. And I need to do mine. You should. I'll do it for you. Okay. I mean, we know I already, I've mm-hmm. never talked about it, but I have a business on the side that's called Hidden by History. Where I help people, um, well, you just helped me actually recently on a case. I help people find their adoptive families. Yeah. And I helped a historical society find a, a trophy they were looking for. So, I mean, if only I could turn it in where we wouldn't have to work together every day at another business. I could just work on my own. But back to Sarah. Sarah had inherited $20 million plus 50% stock in the Winchester Repeating Arms Company when her husband died. Which gave her something, and now get this, she, in royalties, back in 1881, when her husband died, she was getting $1,000 a day. Do you have any idea how that translates to today? Probably $2 million. No, daily. I'm saying she was getting $1,000 a I day. I know. Wouldn't that be like worth like $2 25000 Oh, $25,000. <laughs> thinking. It's, it's not the lot. The mega million. <laughs> Inflated. <laughs> yeah. She, um, it would be closer to getting between twenty-five and $35,000 a day. Yeah. She, um, to say that's wealthy is an understatement. Some say that she hated the company and all it stood for. And that's why, you know, we'll get into why she, the whole superstition thing. But people say that she hated the company. She didn't want everything to do with it, which this is why I think a lot of things about Sarah is, is just kind of bull because she, she never turned down that money. Yeah. She hated she invested it. She that money. Yeah. She be, didn't she hate that money. Walked she, away. Yeah. She invested that money. She made sure her family got parts of that money. She built her house. She paid employees for 38 years. She did not hate that company. Mm-hmm. You hate that company, you walk away from it. You don't take the money from it and run. So, well, they say that while Sarah was looking for solace and closure, um, she had hired a medium. And his name was, and this is frustrating too, because it should be part of something. She wrote letters all the time. You would think it would be in a letter someday where you could... If this really happened, his name was either Adam Coons or Adam McCombs. I've looked for him everywhere. I can't find any connection to Sarah, New Haven, California, San Jose, San Francisco. But supposedly that was the medium that she hired. And she wanted solace. She wanted her husband to come to her and tell her that everything was going to be okay. And what do I do? But instead, she got a chilly warning. Through the medium, William supposedly told his widow that their tragedies, like her child dying at six weeks old, Mm -hmm were a result of the blood money that the family had made off the Winchester rifles. 
He warned that a vengeful ghost would seek her out. Karma. I know. In order to protect herself, William said that Sarah must build a home for herself and for the spirits who have fallen from the terrible weapon. Sarah was advised to leave their home in New Haven, Connecticut behind and move west, where she was to build a grand home for all the spirits. There's just one catch. Construction on the house could never stop. If you continue building, you will live, the medium warned Sarah. Stop and you will die. So that's what the whole entire mystery museum is, or mystery mansion, Winchester Mystery Mansion is built on, is on that premise that a medium told her, go west, build a house, and don't ever stop. Yeah. So 24 hours a day, right? Yeah. So the story goes that Sarah bought this farmhouse on all this land just so she could follow the advice of this particular medium. And again, she wrote letters all the time to her family, to her sisters, to her to everybody. She was a letter writer. Someone somewhere in there. She wasn't, if she, Sarah was smart. If she believed in spiritualism, if she believed in mediums, if she believed they could give her a grander idea of how to live her life, she would not have been ashamed of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just like the whole thing with her and that, and the money. If she didn't want the blood money of the Winchester repeating arms company, she just wouldn't have taken it. Yeah. So this is where it all kind of starts to fall apart a little bit. She hired, when she bought the land, she hired a crew of 20 or more carpenters and began work that lasted the next 38 years. Tour guides will tell you that construction of the house was in every building enterprise in which rotating workers labored 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, with her being the sole architect. The house gradually grew to the height of seven stories in some areas in 500 rooms. I want to know how much she paid those people. If she was making that much money. She paid them well. I mean, there's like, never been a dispute that. And a lot of, of them. Her? Yeah. And a lot of them, they don't really talk about it. A lot of them lived on the property in outhouse. Like, I would say outhouses. It's outdoor <laughs> houses. And um, they blew, they had houses like barracks. on the property. Yeah. They, well, not really barracks. They had like their own, like homes. And Cottages. They grew up there. Yeah. Where kids, children actually grew up, grew up, children actually grew up on the property. They, um, some estimates say that at one point the house had 600 rooms, five to 600 rooms. I don't know if that's true. Uh, it was definitely an awesome site. I mean, it wasn't, there was nothing else nearby. It was that big giant house. Although there's, the seven stories are no longer there. The earthquake of 1906 knocked down. I was going to say, there was no way there was that many rooms in that place. No, after the 1906 earthquake, um, the top three stories collapsed. Oh, okay. So um, it's now, currently it's at, I believe, four stories. It's been a long time since I've been there. But the 1906 earthquake caused significant damage, and parts of the higher stories were either torn down or just closed off. But the house is still magnificent. When Sarah died... The house boasted 47 stairways, 47 fireplaces, 13 bathrooms, three elevators, two basements, six kitchens, 160 rooms, over 24,000 square feet, 2,000 doors, and 10,000 windows, which, by the way, I read on one website, is more than the Empire State Building. Oh, wow. One of the things that stood out to me on the tour that I can remember that I actually enjoyed was a kitchen. I wanted the kitchen. I wanted the sink that was in it. It was giant, right? Like giant yeah. deep. Yeah, I remember the sink. And, well, then one and of it the had kitchens. a way where you could like serve through the window or something. Oh, I don't remember that. And then I do remember the sink though, and it was low. I remember it being low, like well, yeah. how easy this would be. Well, she didn't do her own dishes. I know she tests. didn't do her own dishes, but maybe she had short people working for her. I know. I think it would just be more convenient. Like sometimes when you're doing dishes, your back starts to hurt. Like having yeah. the sink lower. But I think that was normal. But she created certain things like um, 
something about drains. Like she kind of did a new kind of drain or something. And I'll get to that. But, um, oh, I ended that with Empire Stapleton and one seance room. She had one seance room. I don't remember. And it was really only, oh, you don't remember the seance room? No. It was upstairs. They make a big deal about that stupid seance room. I don't remember. Which I'll get to later, but. I remember walls. They walk you through it. That had wallpaper that were gold plated. I remember a bed that looked super uncomfortable. (laughs) You need to go back. You definitely need to go back. Um, The house, again, was just this enormous house. And the only people that lived there were the servants and then occasionally her niece. Uh, There were maze-like quarters, doors and stairs that led to nowhere. There were rooms within rooms and little doors that would open to wide spaces. There are also shortcuts that lead you in circles and quickly transport you to the other side of the house. Like, you can be on one side of the house and take, like, a shortcut that nobody... Yeah. Yeah. Avoid, uh, adding further confusion is the prime numbers, 7, 11, and 13, which are repeatedly displayed in various ways. In fact, she had a chandelier reworked to hold 13 candles instead of 12. There are 13 sink drains, various sets of 13 wall hooks installed within the home, 13 bathrooms. And this is weird. I remember seeing a window that had 13 panes. Hmm. Like they, More than what I could awkward. find information on. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what they were, but I remembered particularly like a window with 13 panes or something. Um, rumor has it that 7 and 11 were lucky numbers, and they were used to create positive vibrations to cancel out the evilness of the number 13. Then why? Why have she, 13 yeah. so much? It says Sarah had multiple master bedrooms built, and she slept in a different one every night so the spirits couldn't find her. She but was if, too if she smart. She was a spiritualist. Why would she not want them to find her? Uh, yeah, again. And again, she was too smart. She was not. I feel like sometimes they dumb her down a little bit. Like some crazy old lady that. She wasn't crazy either. She stayed on the board of the repeating you arms can be company. smart and crazy. Well, no, I know. But she just. She wasn't. I don't. I don't believe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't believe that she was. Others claim that the house is an intricate, intricate puzzle where Sarah created encryption codes inspired by Francis Bacon. They talk a lot about her being part of the Freemasons and the Rosecronian. I don't think I'm saying that right. I, um, I can't say that word. Uh, I can't even read it right. <laughs> different um, fraternity type things. Where mm-hmm. And she was, she was definitely exposed to that as a child. Her dad was part of the Freemasons. Her uncles were um, sort of free. That's a free thing. Can you of, be a Freemason as a woman? No, there would have been something different for her, but she was exposed to it because her dad was, and again, her dad believed that her daughters should be as enlightened as his sons were, mm-hmm. and it was sort of just like the free thinking, and that's why it does make sense to me that she was a spiritualist, and she was a follower of Francis Bacon. The iron gates, which led to the winding staircase, otherwise known as the switchback staircase, have Masonic symbols, and um, which show the guiding path of self-initiation. Well ahead of her time, Sarah employed many high-tech inventions also. She believed to, she's believed to be the first builder to use wool insulation. The house was lit by carbide gas lights that were supplied by its own gas manufacturing plant on the property, on the 160 acres. Uh, what else? Panels of electric buttons were used to operate the lights by means of electromechanical strikers. That would cause a spark to ignite the various lamps. Seems kind of dangerous to me. Um, she was also the first to make use of a shower. That was a big thing. She designed and built the first shower. That No one had used anything like that before. It was baths. You took a bath. Wow. So she designed that also. Um, she had elevators, I think three elevators. Two were driven by hydraulics and one by electricity. 
The house was completely self-sufficient with one carpenter and a plumber's workshop along with an on-premise water and electrical supply and a sewer sewer drainage system, which, again, she designed. She designed all this. It wasn't... I don't get me wrong. I'm sure she had foremen and people who were... Helping her. Just as smart. Yeah, that were working. But they were her ideas. And she, yeah, and she was smart enough to hire people who were smart. News of Mrs. Winchester's death on September 5th, 1922, she had died from, in her sleep from heart failure, bound, this is one of the stories they tell on the, the tour, I don't know if it's true, it said, found her workers halting construction, leaving nails half-driven in walls, like they just stopped the day she died. Supposedly well, they like, worked. we're not getting our pe- check signed no, this week. No, it wasn't like that. They, <laughs> I, from everything that I've read, anyone who worked with her loved her and, and admired her and respected her. And she took care of her employees and made sure that, like, their kids, again, they had children that grew up on that property. She was a good woman. There's no, nothing written about her negatively other than that, you know, maybe she was crazy. I don't know. I'm not saying that she wasn't, but in your real job, if you're boss died would you continue your day's work well they're saying that they, the that's not what i'm saying though they're saying that that the minute she died they heard she died they walked away from the site like they left nails sticking out of the wall like that's it she's dead like well, we're walking away it wasn't so about sad yes yeah, i'm saying it was more that it was more like we're done like it was the way they tell it is more it's not like oh you're not gonna get a paycheck anymore it was more like they were like oh it's the end like sad yeah well they were probably doing it for her well, they were definitely doing it as for well her. as well, the pay, right? But in accordance, she had a twelve-page, thirteen-part will that she signed thirteen times. Now, this is the thing that gets me: she signed her will thirteen times. It wasn't particularly necessary to sign it thirteen times, but she did, and that is that's evidence to me, like where the window and the hooks and all that stuff that all could have been added before or after her. Mm-hmm. But her will is kind of bizarre. I think that's kind of weird that she signed it thirteen times. And it was 13 pages. Her entire estate was divided so up. So did she sign each page? Or was yeah, at the end, signed, it was like 13 no, signatures? Um, her entire estate, and it, who knows if it's true. I tried to find it. I couldn't find it. Sarah had um, her entire estate divided up in generous portions to be distributed among a number of charities and those people who had faithfully spent years in her service. Her favorite niece and secretary, Marion Marriott, Marriott, it's a difficult one to say, um, oversaw the removal and sale, sale of all Sarah's furnishings and personal property. Roy Lieb, Mrs. Winchester's attorney of many years, had been named in her will and as executor of her estate. He sold the house to the people who, in 1933, preserved it as a living museum. Today, it's known as the Winchester Mystery Mansion and also known as California Historical Landmark 868. Although no mention has ever surfaced as to any specific guidelines or special instructions, by which Mr. Lieb would select a buyer for the property, one gets a distinct impression that Sarah wanted the house to stand intact and perpetually preserved, and so it does. So I told the story based on what they tell us in the on the tour and in the books and all the stuff, but now I'm going to tell you the ten, the top lies about the Winchester Mansion. Lies? Yeah. Okay. And it's kind of a drag because although I believe that Sarah was far more evolved for the time and place that she lived, and I do believe she was a spiritualist, and that may or may not have anything to do with the fact that I have spiritualists in my family, and I have a connection to her that way, and I've always been fascinated by her. So I'm just going to go ahead and believe that she was a spiritualist, because no one's ever proved me wrong. Um, I do believe, either way, that she was incredibly smart and um, able to understand that maybe there's something to life after death, and that she was strongly into the teachings of some of the most forward-thinking people of the time. 
I mean, she, clearly she was smart. Maybe she did dabble in seances and mediums, but I don't think that she was a frightened woman. I never, in anything I've read, I can't, and, and the way that her workers spoke of her, and there's a book written by one of her neighbors, is that she wasn't scared. She wouldn't have slept in a different room every night because she was scared of a different spirit. I don't. Well, if I'm you have, how many rooms? 160. Why not sleep in a new room every night? I just don't think if she did, I don't think it's because oh, she felt like do. the spirits were... Take advantage of your rooms. Yeah, I don't think that she was afraid of spirits getting to her, though. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't think that she was walked around being a frightened woman. And and again, the easiest way to have gotten away from the spirits of the Winchester Repeating Rifle Arms Company would have just been to walk away from the fortune and amassed. They would have... She could have just easily been like, hey, I don't want to have anything to do with it. According to a book by a local historian, the mysteries that attract thousands of people each year were manufactured by a family of 1920s carnies, like a carnival family, mm-hmm. and the ones who bought the house, who first leased and later purchased the property. In her tell-all book, Captive of the Labyrinth, Mary Jo Ignofo, and I hope I say, I'm saying her name right, and if you want to buy this book, it's, her name is Mary Jo Ignofo, and it's I-G-N-O-F-F-O, lays out her research and findings. The house was worked on, this is what the, the claims are, the house was worked on 24-7, 365 days a year. This is not true, the author says. Winchester, in her own letters, explains that she sent workers away for months at a time. Like, she talks about it. There's actual writing of her saying that. They weren't the, there? Yeah, I sent the okay. workers away for Christmas. Tour guides tell visitors that Sarah felt guilty over the deaths caused by the Winchester rifle. The author says, nope, shame would have been the furthest from her mind. People associated with the company and those who wrote about it looked at it as an American success story, and a sense of pride was more likely than one of guilt. Plus, she spent money freely. Well, yeah. She, yeah. Sarah sought to confuse the spirits with the weird construction. The doors and stairs that lead to nothing, the author says, had much more to do with the earthquake than any desire to confuse anyone from living or dead. One story I read Sarah, said Sarah was trapped in her room for several days after the quake, and workers have told people that that... She was up on one of the higher floors mm-hmm. when the earthquake quick struck, and one of the walls had collapsed, blocking her door, and she couldn't get out. They had to like basically, like take parts of the house down just to get her out. During the how long it took to even find where she was at in a house that big? That's what they talk about too. Well, that might have been her bedroom. They might have known where she was, but it wasn't that easy to get to her. Yeah. Again, don't know if that's true or not. It's hard to say. People say that it was torn down. That you know what I mean. People say it, that the doors and stairs lead to nothing because she was trying to confuse the spirits yeah this the author is saying that no 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 stores doors and stairs lead to nothing because there was something there and now there's not Mm -hmm. the seance room um she says if sarah really was a spiritualist please don't please don't take that away from me they say that if she was a spiritualist no one denies that seances um that and no one denies that i was gonna say no one denies that there were saying that she was a spiritualist but seances were typically social affairs. It's unlikely that she hung out alone there holding se- solo seances or playing with a Ouija board. In fact, if she were to hold seances, it would more likely have been in the front parlor. Um, and mention of the seance room didn't show up until 1928. Mm-hmm. No one talked. There is a seance room. I mean, it's a room that's upstairs, and they call it the seance room. and has 13 hooks and la, la, la. Um, but spiritualists, what, they, it was very sociable. They would call their friends over. They would all sit around a table. I mean, Harry Houdini was famous for debunking mediums in the spiritualism era mm-hmm. where he would go in and say, they have bells under their pants. That's the bell. You know what I mean? 
and and we should do a story on Harry Houdini because he's one of my other fascinations. But he wanted to believe in spiritualism, and he was disappointed to find that there were so many shysters out there. But it was more of a sociable thing. It wasn't something... People claim that she went into their room at night and determined, like, what building was going to happen the next day based on what the spirits told her. I don't I don't necessarily believe it. I don't know. Um, Sarah, they say Sarah was obsessed with the number 13. Facts that have been used to prove Sarah was superstitious. But most of the 13 oddities, oddities were added after she had died. And there really are not Who that added many. them? Um, well, when they were building the carnies that bought the oh, house, they, yeah. they added the hooks, they added the window, they added the, like, the thir- there are 13 bathrooms, of course there's 13 drains, I mean, come on. Yeah. So, I, I feel like if someone was really, truly obsessed with 13, she would have built a house that had 13 bedrooms with 13 windows and 13, 13 steps. Doors. Yeah, I don't think it would have just been 13 hooks, a window, a chandelier, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just, I don't know. The Winchester House is on the National Registry of Historic Places, and people are led to believe it's a national landmark and that it is publicly owned nonprofit. In fact, it is not. It is a privately owned and it is a for-profit enterprise. The last thing is, after she died, no one came forward to tell the truth, but that's not true either. Former neighbors and workers, along with two young men who were raised on the ranch, attempted to tell the press about how interesting and what a good woman Sarah Winchester was. Their stories fell on deaf ears. It was more interesting to believe the propaganda. It's really up to the visitor to either believe or not believe. I tend to believe it's somewhere in the middle. I During our tour, a friend of mine took a picture of what was supposedly Sarah's sitting room, and there's a really weird shadow in it when the picture was developed, and she was using an old, like yeah, a camera. Yeah, a real camera. Yeah. Film. Yeah. If I can get a picture of that, if she still has it, I'll put it on her website. I really doubt that she does. It's an old house, and clearly that Sarah loved her house. It's been there for over 100 years. People have lived and died on the property and on the land. It's not that far-fetched if you're a believer to think that it's haunted. I don't necessarily believe it's by the victims of the rifle, but maybe more like those people that had lived there in the area rather than the rifle people. What do you think? I don't think that she was crazy or she was trying to confuse the spirits. I think that... um, she had so much money. She didn't have anyone significant to carry on her part of the company. So maybe she was just trying to use her money as much as possible and help other people and employ people. It could be. And make them work for it instead of just giving them handouts. Well, and maybe she just loved architecture. Maybe it was just fun for her and or she, she kept people at working. It as art. Maybe. Yeah. That's very likely also. I mean, it wouldn't probably draw people in it probably wouldn't draw people in like the winchester mystery mansion does no they had to come up with a story they had to come up with some kind of story to make money and to continue making money off of right i this don't weird crazy house i don't necessarily believe it's not haunted though i i do believe it could be haunted i think i mean it's over 100 yeah it's yeah. over 100 years old so is the winchester mansion haunted by the victims of the winchester repeating arms company or was it all a big lie to make money off a house that a lonely widow built? I guess we'll never know. Unless, of course, Sarah herself makes an appearance to tell us all the truth. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. Be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode. 
Until next time, I'm Kat, and remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.